Amen. Do you guys stand with me for the reading of God's word, please? <clears throat> Luke 8:40 says this. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because he, his only daughter, a girl about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could kill her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out for me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told <clears throat> why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing she, she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her, her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what happened. Amen. I love how it said that the crowd was expecting. I hope that I'm standing in front of a crowd that is expecting. Um, if you would, go with me in a word of a prayer. Lord, we are pressing in. We are pressing in and we are holding on to the hem of your robe right now. Father, and we have issues of blood. It's the lack of your blood. Father, we are holding on and we are trembling just like the woman was, Father. Father, but today, we are not believing the lies of the enemy like in this scripture. We are not going to believe that, all, that we are spiritually dead. We are not going to believe the lies of the enemy that the mountain is too big to be moved. Father, we are not going to believe that we are not big enough, that we are too small, that, that you are too small. Father, we are believing that you are everything, and we know that you can do anything, Father. Father, we know that all things can be done in your name. Father, today, I pray for open ears. I pray for open hearts, Father. Father, I pray that you can hear a pin drop in this room because we are pressing in and listening to your word and that we receive it, Father, and that we just hold it in our hearts, Father. And Father, I pray for heart transplants today, Father. Father, I pray that someone will hear it for the very first time and receive it, Father. Father, and I pray that new life will come, Father. And Father, I pray that it won't just leave, that it won't just leave us when we leave this door. Father, that we take it with us and that we just use it, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a shout of praise this morning. Amen. Come on. You ever been desperate? You ever been desperate? 
Man, you know, when you get desperate, all of a sudden nothing else matters except what you're desperate for. When I was desperate for the things of the world, it had me doing stuff that I never thought that I would have done. It had me becoming a person that I never thought that I could ever be. And yet there I was, desperate for the next thing, desperate to try to find satisfaction, desperate to try to find fulfillment, desperate for the things that the world had to offer Willing to do anything to get there. Does that resonate with anybody here? You feel that? You feel that? What if we get desperate for God? I mean, what happens when we're desperate for God? What happens when he's the only thing that we need in our life? What happens when we need God so bad that all the rest of the stuff means nothing to us? That we're ready to do things for the Lord that we would have never imagined doing. That we're ready to become a person that we would have never imagined or never thought that we could be. Man, when you're just regular, you might come to church. You might not. But when you're desperate for God, you'll be beating the doors off this thing, man, waiting for somebody to let you in. You'll be like, Larry, hurry up and open the door so I can get into the church. And then you'll still be here when Daniel and them are trying to lock the doors. They'll be turning the lights off and you'll still be in the church just hanging out. Like, I just want to be in the presence of God. Just want to be in the presence of God. You know, when you're just regular, man, you might pray and you might not. But when you're desperate for God, you wake up in the morning praying. You'll go to bed at night just crying and praying. You'll pray all the way in between. You'll just pray and pray and pray and do what Paul said, and you'll pray without uh, ceasing. Amen. You'll pray without ceasing. You know, you'll be praying in the morning on the way to work. And you know, sometimes the prayer is longer than the road is. You ever have that where the prayer's longer than the road is? And then you get to work and you're just in there in the parking lot, sitting there in the parking lot of your work, praying and just asking God to move. And you're just like, God, I pray that your glory will fall. God, I pray you'll send angels. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, heal my wounds, deliver me. God, I pray for everybody and everything. Shout out, shout out, table, she, buddy, or whatever. You know, all of a sudden you're praying in the Spirit. You don't even know what you're saying. Praying. And then all of a sudden you look over and the guy in the car next to you is like, And then you're just like, Lord, I just pray for that guy too because I know he needs you just as bad as I do, but he just don't know it yet, God. So I pray your Holy Spirit just fall in that car too, just like it's falling in this car right now. Glory to God. Angels for him, Lord. And then I get back to my prayer so I can get prayed up before I go into work. So I can get in my office and shut the door and start praying again. When you're desperate for God, you hear the music in the church, and you're like, hey, this music's pretty good. That tall guy sings pretty good, man. But when you're desperate for God... When you're desperate for God and we're singing his name. When you're desperate for God, it does something different. You be in there and we're singing Yeshua. And you got the Cumberland Falls going down your cheeks and pulling at your shoes. And you're crying and you're worshiping and you got your hands up in the air. And the person next to you is like, are you okay? And you're like, I've never been better in my whole life. Praise God. <laughs> when you're just regular, when we get to the end of service, you're like, hey, so he, he looks, act like he's going to close up the service pretty soon. Maybe he won't do the altar call. Maybe he'll just say, in Jesus' name, bye, and then we can go to the Cracker Barrel. It'll be great. But when you're desperate for God, 
When you're desperate for God, you're like, I wish this preacher would shut up and open that altar up because I need to get down there and get to God right now. I need to get down there and get to God, and I don't care who's looking, and I don't care who's watching, and I don't care how bad my knees hurt, and I don't care about none of that stuff. I just wish that he would say, come on down and bend your knee before the Lord so that I could go down there and get to Jesus because I know that if I can just carry my cares and my knees and my burdens and my desperation down there to the Lord, that he'll give me what I need because he's the provider and he's the healer and he's the Savior and he's the restoration and the power and the love. Man, give him some praise this morning. And then we'd be closing up the service and giving the announcements like, we've got a women's group on Tuesday nights at 6 and men's group on Wednesday night at 6 and new life ministry on Friday at 6 and we're doing that and we're doing this and we're doing the other thing. And you still be down here on the altar. Still, just crying. Lights go out. Still on the altar. Because that's what it looks like when you're desperate for God. But here's the thing. The world may have tried to tell you that it was over. But as long as you're desperate for God, it's not over. It's not over till he says it's over. And when you're desperate for God, you know that he has what you need. And I'm here to tell you today that that thought is correct. So what I need in this place is a bunch of people that are desperate for God. I need a bunch of people that are willing to lay down the rest of the trappings of life and stop trying to find what you need out there in the world. Because guess what? It ain't going to work. And I need you to get desperate for the living God and run to him wherever he's at. Jairus was desperate for God. Jairus was desperate for God. Man, man, Jairus was a man of power and a man of position. He was used to being in control. Jairus was in control of the synagogue. He was the synagogue leader. That means he got to decide who was going to teach what in the synagogue. He got to decide who was going to speak and what they were going to speak on. He got to decide how the service was going to go. And the most importantly, now I want you to imagine a minute if I had this power that he had. Jairus got to decide who was in good standing with God and who wasn't. Yeah. Now, I don't want that power. Keep in mind. But, I mean, I could be like, you know, see this section in the middle here? You guys are doing pretty good. Now, this section over here, step it up a little bit. But, look, this man was used to being in control. You understand what kind of power that he had in his life? He was used to being able to control every aspect of not only his life, but of everyone else's life too. Because the synagogue was the center of the community. And your relationship with God, your standing with God was all that mattered. And he could dictate that, not just for himself, but for everyone else. He was used to being in control. And this message is for the control freaks out there. When you have to come to terms with the fact that you're not in control, it may just be the hardest thing that you ever experience in your whole life. And that's what Jairus had to come to terms with, the fact that he was not in control. Because all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everything in his world came crashing down. His daughter. The book of Luke that we read says his only daughter. The, the book of Mark where the story is retold says his little daughter. His little daughter, his only daughter, the apple of his eye, the joy of his life is laying dying. Now he's prayed over it and got no answer. He's had the doctors and the healers come, and all they did was pronounce a diagnosis of death on this child. And so all of a sudden, Jairus realizes that he's not in control. He's got no control. There's nothing that he can do to dictate this situation. And so all of a sudden, he realizes what he has to do. He has to surrender his pride. He's a man of pride. 
a man of power. He has to lay it all down and surrender his pride. He has to surrender his position. Because do you understand what he's about to do is going to cost him? See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they hate Jesus. They hate Jesus. They're trying to kill Jesus. They don't want nothing to do with Jesus. And they're the ones that, that, that control Jairus' life. He, they're the ones he has to answer to. So he's about to lay down his position, his livelihood, everything that he does in his life, he's about to lay it down. And not only that, he's about to surrender control. He's about to surrender control. He's going to lay down his pride, his position, and all the control that he thought he had at the feet of Jesus. And so Jairus hears that Jesus has come back to Capernaum, and he goes running. He goes running. He don't care what people are going to say. He don't care what people think. He doesn't care what it's going to cost him. Do you hear me, church? He doesn't care what it's going to cost him. And so he runs down, and he fights through the crowd, and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. The Greek word is, is pipto, and what it means is to hurl yourself at the feet of a ruler like a king or a god, or in this case, both. And he hurls himself at the feet of Jesus. No pride, no position, no control, just a desperate father, just a desperate father petitioning God for his child, willing to give up everything, willing to sacrifice everything, doesn't care what the cost is. And he just says, Lord, my little daughter is dying, but I know, say I know, but I know that if you would just come and you would just touch her, that she will be healed. She will be healed. Putting all his faith in Jesus. The only chance that he has left. Jesus doesn't even say anything. He just starts to go. He just starts to go. And he's going towards the house. And all of a sudden this father who thought that he lost everything has some hope in his heart. He's got some hope. He's got the Lord. He's got the healer. He's got the man of God right here beside him. And they're heading down. But this crowd is all around them. This crowd is all around them. And they're pressing in from every side. And it's got to be hard to get down the streets there in Capernaum. And they need to get where they're going to go. And, and Jairus is like, if you could just get out of the way, everybody just move. i got to get the Lord to my house. And, 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 and people would just hurry. And the crowd's too big. And then all of a sudden, Jesus has taken his time. See, he's not running to where this miracle needs to happen. He's strolling along. Because 12 years ago, there was a little girl that was born. And on that same day, a woman began bleeding. You're telling me these two miracles aren't connected? 12-year-old girl has lived her whole life. And also this woman with the issue of blood has been bleeding for 12 years what did the bible say that her name was it didn't she was just called the woman with the issue of blood you ever had an affliction so much that you just forgot your own name and just identified yourself with that or had someone else do it for you oh that's just that meth head that's just that alcoholic. That's just that liar. That's just that thief. That's just that person. And they identify you, and no longer are you a real person anymore. You're just that affliction. You see, she gets a name change 
in this miracle as well. I'll tell you about that in just a second. She's been desperate, so desperate that she has paid and given everything that she has for someone to heal her. Any doctor, any person, I'll try anything. And she's given up everything and nobody can heal her. How many people know that the world can't heal you? I mean, how many people know the world has no answer for you? It, it can't help you in any way. As a matter of fact, it makes you worse. Every time that you're sick and you try to go to the world for healing, guess what? You get sicker. But also, you get somebody else sick too. That's part of it. Because the world doesn't have the answer. She was desperate enough that she was battling this affliction for 12 years. Anybody battled something for a day and lost faith? I know I have. Something come in, some bad news, something hit me and my just whole house fall down. Oh, well, what's going to happen? I'm never going to be able to do this. But for 12 years, 12 years, that's like four of Paul's Life, that's like, you can fit 12 years four times and five times in your life. That's only half my age. 12 years. Battling the same issue with a whole crowd around Jesus. Nobody touching him. But she knew she just had to get to Jesus. I've got to get to him. I know that if I could just touch him that I'll be okay that I that if I just touch him that would be enough and she battles her way knocking people out of the way people this was a woman with an issue of blood in the Hebrew culture she was unclean she wasn't allowed any voice any position anywhere near anybody and for 12 years, she had been battling that stigma, that identity. But you know what? Forget all that. I'm getting to Jesus. Pushed through, got through, and didn't clutch him, didn't grab him, didn't tackle him. All she got was not even his garment, but the fringe of his garment. It was enough. It was enough. That immediately Jesus said, who touched me? Who, who touched me? I felt power leave me. The King James Version says that I, I felt virtue leave me. How many people know that when you get to touch Jesus, you receive his virtue? He, you receive his virtue. And everyone around Whenever he was like, who touched me? Everybody went, nope, it wasn't me. What? I didn't do it. It wasn't me. How many people have been around a bunch of Christians before? But nobody wanted to touch Jesus. Nobody wanted to get near him. Nobody wanted to get close to him because when they say, hey, do you need prayer? Can I pray for you? No, I'm good. I don't, I don't need anything. Hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. No, that's okay. I'm, I'm okay. No, I'm telling you all right now, I'm not okay. I need Jesus. I will knock you down if it means that you're in my way to get to Jesus. I've got to have him. 
I've got to get to him. And if all I get is the fringe of his garment, it's enough. That's enough. I will, I will fight every person in the world for a thread, to just touch a thread. But everybody went, no, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. I, I didn't do it. And when it says, the Bible says that she couldn't be hidden, that she fell before him trembling, saying it was me. I did it. It was me. I, Father, I, I touched you. And she proclaimed what she was battling with in front of everybody so that everybody could see what she had been healed from. Not the stereotype, the unclean thing, the names that you're going to be called, whatever. None of that mattered because she was desperate enough that the only thing that mattered was getting to Jesus. If I could just get to him, all of y'all can kick rocks. I want to get to him. Before anything else had happened, her name was the woman with the issue of blood. That person, unclean, that person with that, that ugh. But now, Jesus says, daughter, 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 your faith has made you whole complete not just healed not just life but life more abundant not just that person anymore but my daughter you now are an heir to the throne you have royal blood pumping through your veins you are now my daughter i proclaim you my daughter in front of all these people that knew your story but uh guess what you think you have a story? Jesus can rewrite it. He can change the ending. You're just in a chapter. This isn't the whole book. He's going to change your story to fit your new name. Because you don't have to be that person with the issue of fill in the blank. You don't have to be that person anymore. You get to be a son and daughter of the king. You get to get a new name with a new story, with a new set of ideals and, and expectations from him, not from the world, but from him. And immediately, immediately, it didn't say that she touched it, it didn't work, so she had to touch it again. No, she, she touched it again. Let me get a handful this time. Let me get a handful and pray. Let me pray really hard. No, as soon as she touched a thread, immediately, the issue had stopped. Come on. How desperate are you? How desperate are you? You fight a crowd for him? You fight a, fight a crowd just to get the, the hem of his garment? Pray with me, Father. I thank you so much that you change our name. I thank you so much that you change our story. I thank you so much that I don't have to identify with an issue, but I get to identify with a king that I get to be changed from a sin and a sinner to a son. Thank you, Father, for your blood. We love you, Lord, and we trust you. Somebody say amen. Let's give God praise. Amen. And everybody was astounded by what just happened. This woman that had been 
suffering and broken for the last 12 years is instantly healed and not just of her affliction bodily but healed of the shame that she'd been dealing with healed of, of the, 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 the ostracization from her community healed of the brokenness and finally she was touched by the living God but just as this daughter that had been suffering for 12 years is healed and made whole this other daughter that has only lived those same 12 years dies and a servant comes up and tells Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. And all the hope that he'd been filled with, gone. Do you ever have the entire course of your life changed in an instant? Just right on a dime, man, everything changes. The whole world just falls apart in that second. Don't bother the master. She's dead. And here stands this man that was once a man of power and position and authority. Broken. Not in the hands of the master where he could be used. But in a pile on the ground. And that voice, that voice that speaks those words, it's not the voice of God. It's not even the voice of his servant. That voice is the whisper of the enemy. You know how I know that? Because of what it says. Don't bother the master. She's dead. As if to insinuate that God is too distant to be touched. That he's too busy to be bothered. And that he's too weak to meet the needs that you have in your life. But wait, church, I'm here to tell you today that none of those things are true. My God is not too distant to be touched. My God's not too busy to be bothered. And my God sure ain't too weak to heal, deliver, and set free and do whatever he needs to do for each and every one of us. No, 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 no. See, Jesus Christ is available. He's accessible. And by God, he's all, all powerful. Can you say amen? And I speak that over every situation that you have going on in your life today. He's available to you, he's accessible to you, and he is all-powerful. That means he can heal every wound, he can break every chain, he can set free and forgive every sin that you've ever committed. He can do everything that he needs to do and provide for you everything that you have ever needed in your entire life. And Jairus wants to listen to the words of the enemy. How many times have you listened to that whisper? How many times? You're too far gone. It's too late. He, can't, he, weighs, he can't even hear you. But even if he could hear you, he can't help you. He can't help you. And the enemy tells us these things over and over and over again. And we believe it. Why? Because we're afraid. Because we're afraid of losing everything. We're, we're afraid of losing our faith. We're afraid of losing our family. We're afraid of losing everything that we have. And that's where Jairus is right now. He's afraid that he's going to lose the most precious thing that he has in his entire life. He's afraid he's going to lose his little daughter. 
He's afraid of who he's going to be without her. He's afraid of losing his faith. He's afraid of losing his position. He's afraid of so many things. And we've all been there before. And the enemy's whispering to him. And then, then Jesus does what Jesus does best. And he steps right in between the lies of the enemy and you. And he looks this man right in the eyes and he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be saved. Just believe and she'll be made whole. Just believe and she'll be healed. Just believe and she'll be delivered. Just believe and she'll be risen up. Just believe and I'll make everything like it's supposed to be. Just believe. And I'm speaking that to each and every person in this room today. Just believe. Just believe. Because I'm telling you what, it's not over. It's not over. It's not over. The enemy might have told you it was over, but it's not over until he says it's over. It's not over. He's just on his way. He's just on his way. He's just on his way. And maybe you didn't realize yet, but he's on his way. And so he tells Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. As a matter of fact, let's go. And so in that moment, Jesus Christ walks with Jairus into his valley. Walks with Jairus into the darkest night of his life. Walks with Jairus into the very face of death itself. You know what? He'll do the same thing for you. He'll walk with you right into your fiery pit. He'll walk right with you into your watery grave. He'll walk with you right into the chains. He'll walk with you right into the sickness and the affliction. He'll walk with you hand in hand, hand in hand, ready to face whatever comes his way because that's just the kind of God that he is. Available, accessible, all-powerful. And so he gets to the house, and all these people are screaming and crying and wailing and carrying on. Because see, back in the day in Jesus' time, when somebody died, they didn't send a casserole. They went and cried with you and screamed with you and wailed with you. It's just what you did. So all their neighbors are there and all their friends and everybody's screaming and, and wailing and mourning and carrying on. And Jesus walks right up in the midst of them and says, what are y'all crying for? Y'all need to hush. That girl ain't dead. But they know she's dead. What he's saying doesn't make any sense. Jesus Christ ever say something to you that didn't make any sense? Just go with it, okay? Let me give you some advice from a person that's done that a whole bunch of times. Just go with it. If he says go, just go. If he says get up, just get up. Just do what he says do. He says, man, y'all need to hush. That girl's not dead. So he goes into the room, but look at this. The only people that he'll take with him is Peter and James and John and the girl's mother and father. He doesn't take the doubters. He doesn't take the mockers. He doesn't take all the people that decided they were going to laugh at him like, <laughs> this guy's crazy. You know why? Because he's not putting on a show. He's not putting on a show. He doesn't care about the show. He's about to work a miracle for the faithful. He's not putting on a show for the doubters and the mockers. Can you say amen? And so he goes into the room, and everybody's laughing at him, and he just comes in there with these distraught parents and just his closest disciples, and he reaches down to this little girl that's lying there dead and unhearing. Her ears ain't working. Her body's not working. She's laying there. One daughter healed, delivered and set free. Another daughter lying cold and dead. And yet all of a sudden, with the same voice that spoke the universe into creation, stay with me. The same voice that, that hung the moon and the stars in the sky, the same voice that, 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 that made the earth to form the same voice leans down to this little girl and he says, Talitha kumi. 
which means precious one, little one, daughter, rise up. And immediately, what was lost is found. What was broken is put together. Who was dead is resurrected and given life. And with those same words, he can speak into your life, precious one. Precious one, you don't have to lie dead anymore. Precious one, let me speak truth into your life. Precious one, rise up. Precious one, rise up and come to life in my presence. Because you know what? The enemy was trying to speak death uh, and denial, but you can't speak death and denial in the presence of victory and life. Because I'm here to tell you today that the way, the truth, and the life supersedes anything that the world could ever do. And he's not weak to heal. He's not too weak to heal, even in the face of death itself. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory in the face of Jesus Christ? Can you say amen? He's nice. It's not over. Say it's not over. He's on the way. He's on the way. And I'm speaking that over every situation that you've got going on in your life right now. If you're suffering with a sickness, man, he's on the way. If you're dealing with a prodigal child that's out ripping and roaring and running wild, man, he's on the way. If you're dealing with a a marriage that you can't figure out how to get reconciled, man, Jesus is on the way. If you're dealing with chains of addiction that you can't quite get broke, man, he's on the way. And you know what? He's not even delayed. He shows up exactly when he means to show up, just like Brent was saying. Man, he shows up exactly when he means to show up. Twelve years, twelve years, doesn't matter. Everybody is healed. Everybody's healed. If you'll just believe, if you'll just believe, then you will be healed because he's available, he's accessible, and he's all-powerful. He's on the way, and it's not over yet.